0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's now officially official. Russell Westbrook is a Houston Rocket, but contrary to our hopes earlier this week, there was not a late addition to the trade. To discuss what that may mean and tell us about the remainder of the Rockets offseason? Well, that's what we're going to be doing today here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben Dubose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. Tonight's show is brought to you courtesy of Grip6, where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. It's ultra-lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it's a great gift idea. Best of all, Grip6 has a special offer just for our listeners at grip6.com lock. That's L-O-C-K-E. In our show on this Wednesday, July 17th, two and a half weeks after free agency officially began, we finally have some official trades and signings to report. Austin Rivers and Daniel House officially re-signed with the team. The re-signing of Gerald Green is presumably coming very soon. And so is the addition of 19-year veteran Tyson Chandler as the backup center to replace Nene. Oh, and that blockbuster trade of Chris Paul and draft picks for 2017 league MVP Russell Westbrook? Yeah, that's finally official as well. And from what I understand, there should be a press conference coming in the next few days. Once we hear from Russ himself and his motivations for wanting to get to Houston... We'll talk even more about what the fit looks like and all those types of Westbrook-centric conversations. For now, if you want Russ talk, feel free to check out our Locked on Rockets archives because we've had plenty of conversations about him over the past week. For today's show, I'm primarily going to be focusing on what did not happen, and that's an expansion of the original Westbrook trade to include any additional players. The Rockets agreed to the Westbrook deal at about 7 p.m. last Thursday night but they did not finalize it until about the same time Tuesday night. That's literally 120 hours later. Clearly, that's not just a matter of setting up physicals or the logistics of a trade call. There's something else going on. On Monday's show, Karthik Prasad and I went through the most likely reasons for the delay, and that's the potential of using the 125% rule of matching salary in trades to bring in extra talent or, in the worst case, salary filler for future trades. Basically, because Chris Paul's outgoing salary is enormous at over $38 million and Westbrook has the identical salary, the Rockets could have brought in about $9 million in extra salary, either in terms of players from Oklahoma City or roping a third team into the trade. That's an opportunity that now isn't there, since independent of the Westbrook trade, the Rockets wouldn't have that type of salary buffer. They would have to come close to matching whatever they take in. And it's pretty clear to me that the Rockets at least explored the possibility of expanding the deal. But at the end of the day, that expanded deal didn't happen. So in today's show, I'm first going to explain what it seems to tell us about the thought process of the ownership and front office here in Houston. And then in the second half of the show, I'm going to try to spin it forward and tell you what it may indicate about the plans for the remainder of the offseason and how Daryl Morey is likely to fill out his roster around Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. My initial reaction to the deal being completed as it was initially leaked last Thursday was one of relative disappointment. Certainly, it's exciting to get Russell Westbrook, but we've known that for a few days. What we were wondering is if the Rockets would be able to take advantage of a fairly unique opportunity from a salary perspective. And it's disappointing that in a worst case scenario, even if they couldn't come to terms because it takes two to tango on a larger, more impactful addition. At least in terms of what makes sense basketball-wise, there were floor scenarios definitely available. The Thunder, for example, they're not trying to contend next season. They're trying to get beneath the luxury tax line. I think they would have gladly given you Patrick Patterson and his expiring $5.5 million salary to which the Rockets could have used as filler in potential trades later this season. And even if for some reason they wouldn't, I'm sure there's a third team somewhere in the NBA that would have dumped a similar salary for potential tax reasons. That was what I considered from basketball logic the floor scenario, that the Rockets could use that extra 9 $10 million buffer to, at a bare minimum, position themselves better for trades down the line. The hope was that maybe that they could do something even more impactful, such as an Andre Iguodala deal that's been rumored for a couple of weeks, but obviously that takes two to tango. The point is that not only did the Rockets not get one of the larger deals, but the floor scenario didn't materialize either. At that point, there's no way that we can deny the role of the luxury tax. Now, in fairness to Tillman Fertitta, Patrick Patterson, his $5.5 million salary when you factor in the luxury tax, that would be somewhere between 12 and $15 million in terms of his actual payments from the Rockets for this coming season. And that's for a player in his 30s who is not good at all anymore and would be unlikely to play barring catastrophic injuries. So I can understand these people are not made of money, and Tillman is far from alone. Most ownership groups, I think, would decline adding a player like that If the only potential benefit is maybe the GM has more flexibility for a future trade down the line. That's a lot of money to give up just for a hypothetical. So to be clear off the top, Tillman is not alone. I would think the vast majority of ownership groups would do the same thing. Very few GMs have a blank check to do whatever it takes to potentially upgrade their odds of building a championship roster. That's something that a lot of owners say, but very few 100% follow through on. So I do want to stress off the top that while certainly I don't see any other reason other than the luxury tax that the Rockets wouldn't take advantage of this so-called floor scenario, I outlined it on Monday's show, it's important to realize that it's not as if Tillman Fertitta is an outlier amongst his ownership peers. I think the vast majority of... NBA owners and their reps would make a similar decision. The question with regards to Fertita is if that's where the line stops, or if he would be similarly restrictive on other moves for players that might be more impactful than Patrick Patterson. And that's what we'll talk about a little bit more as we make our way through tonight's show. But off the top, I think what it clearly says is that regardless of the lingo, whatever said in an interview, There is a point that the luxury tax would be too prohibitive. Now, I don't think that's anything earth shattering. I think most of us know that even though the majority of owners will say that they'll pay what it takes to have a championship roster, very few will actually not impose any limits at all. The question is where those limits exactly are. And in this case... We have confirmation that whatever the floor scenarios were, and I think Patrick Patterson is far and away the most likely when you look at this deal and the motivations of the Thunder, that's a point in which Fertitta was unwilling to go, most likely given the luxury tax impact. So it is fair to have disappointment over that because in terms of the likelihood of future trades, the Rockets are boxed in now because to make the math work, you would almost certainly have to give up guys like Eric Gordon or Clint Capella, which... Are important to you as a team. Whereas you need some non essential salaries that could be used to make the math work without significantly hurting your team in the process. So that's why Patterson, especially because he was expiring the last year of his existing deal, would have been a good opportunity. It would have added to the Rockets' asset pile. And I'm a little disappointed that it didn't work out. In terms of pure basketball logic, there was no downside to the move. However, it's easy for us to say that because it's not our money. I do believe the vast majority of NBA ownership groups would act in the same way. So I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that Fertita is a bad owner by any stretch based on this decision. But it is something to sort of keep a watchful eye on as the offseason progresses and as we get closer to the trade deadline. Because certainly with James Harden in his prime, now adding Russell Westbrook as well, this is a season in which you need to be willing to pay the luxury tax to have the deepest and best ...supporting cast that you can because the championship window, especially with the breakup of the Warriors, is wide open. So it's fair to have some disappointment. I wouldn't go all the way to despair, but I would sort of keep a watchful eye on this moving forward. The reason I'm not willing to jump to the levels of despair that I've seen some on Rockets Twitter do in the last 24 hours or so... ...is because for the larger scenarios, there are plausible basketball reasons that those did not work out. Some of the extreme reactions I've seen, I've read a few tweets suggesting that maybe the entire offseason was a ruse, the deal of Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. Now, you did add an extra year in terms of Westbrook's contract relative to CP, but in terms of the annual investment cost, they're practically identical. And so the Rockets have generated a lot of buzz, perhaps sold more tickets without actually increasing materially to their bottom line. And I've seen some wondering if this is just a clever way for them to generate buzz and talk without actually putting in a real investment. To me, that's a little silly because if you think that all of this is a sales trick, one of the most basic premises of sales is to under-promise and over-deliver. And in terms of the larger possibilities, if anything, I think most of us are disappointed because the Rockets had our expectations too high. Let's look at Andre Iguodala, who could have fit in as a third team if Memphis would have participated in the Westbrook-Chris Paul deal. The reason a lot of us were optimistic on bringing in Andre Iguodala is because Daryl Morey, or someone in the basketball operations staff that works for him, specifically told the beat writers for the team, including Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicle, that not just pursuing him as a buyout, but pursuing Iguodala by trade was an option. Why would they leak that if they were not authorized to spend for him? That makes no sense. You're setting an expectation that you can't meet, and that's leading to many of these reactions. That's why I don't think if the Rockets are doing this as some sort of sales trick, they're not very good at it because they're underwhelming relative to the expectations that they set. To me, a much more rational conclusion is that they did legitimately try for these bigger moves. But for various reasons, they didn't work out. You can also look at the timetable. It taking 120 hours to finalize from when the deal was officially leaked as agreed to on Thursday. If you were trying to slip this deal in and benefit from the buzz, the play would have been to finalize it immediately within just a few hours. And plenty of trades have gone official that quickly. To where no one gets caught up in, hey, you could potentially take in 9 or $10 million in extra salary. The only reason we wondered that is because it took so damn long the last five days for this thing to actually get official. That's not just the physicals or logistics of setting up a trade call. There's something that must be going on behind the scenes. So I reject the idea that the Rockets weren't earnestly trying for an upgrade. Because taking this long, how else do you think fans or consumers are going to take it? That just seems silly if you honestly believe that the team is trying not to invest. Well, if it's all about sales, again, under-promise, over-deliver. This process did the exact opposite on multiple fronts. So in my opinion, the much more reasonable conclusion is that the Rockets legitimately tried, it just didn't work out. And there are basketball reasons to think that some of these deals weren't able to materialize in mid-July. Keep in mind that as far as the deadline, it's just important to the Rockets, the timing of it, because they needed this Westbrook-Chris Paul deal, certainly Oklahoma City as well, to become official. These other teams aren't operating under the same time constraints. They might want to take it until later in the offseason. So the Rockets, they can't really press the other teams the way they could if this was truly a trade deadline around the league. But let's say the reports of Memphis wanting a first-round pick for Andre Iguodala are true. Well, if you're the Rockets and you already had to give up two first-round picks in the Russell Westbrook trade, you only really have two picks left, 2020 and 2022, that you could trade. What if you don't think that a 35-year-old Andre Iguodala is worthy of giving up one of your only two future assets of any substance? What if you look at the market and guys like J.R. Smith, Justin Holiday, Luke Bamute and say, hey, I might can get 80% of the production of Andre Iguodala without giving up a first-round pick. Why would you not want to save your assets, and who knows, maybe your financial flexibility as well. That could have played into not taking on a Patrick Patterson-type salary. Maybe you want to keep the assets and the money available if someone comes available later in the off season or during the regular season, like a Kevin Love. Karthik alluded to that possibility in our show on Monday. What if someone big does become available down the line? Maybe you want to keep your war chest stocked with a few assets or some additional funds that you could use later on. We don't know exactly where talks broke down between the Rockets and the Grizzlies, but there are plausible basketball reasons. And when you combine that with the fact that the Rockets, again, have set high expectations throughout the process, both in terms of at a root level going into the tax, but also pursuing Iguodala specifically, extending the timetable of this Westbrook-Chris Paul trade by five days, It doesn't make sense to me that they're trying to duck the tax in all scenarios. I don't think it's anything sinister like that. So that's why I do believe it's fair to have some concern and disappointment about not taking in a Patrick Patterson type as far as the floor scenario. But I also wouldn't jump to the other end of the spectrum either in terms of saying, well, this proves that everything's a ruse. The Rockets aren't willing to invest. Ownership is bad. I think in most cases, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And in this case, since it's only July 16th, there's a lot of time left. There's also trades during the season in addition to whatever's left of the off season. So I would just say keep a watchful eye and going forward, we'll see how this plays out. There's definitely some evidence with not taking back a Patterson type deal that on some level, the tax is a factor. That's becoming crystal clear. However, we do have evidence that they are willing to explore scenarios where they do pay the luxury tax and then many of them a decent benefit. The question is exactly where that line is, and at the moment we don't exactly know. Patrick Patterson is one piece of evidence, and we might have another one in the coming days or weeks in the form of Iman Shumpert. More on that in just a few moments as we try to spin this conversation forward and break down what it may mean for the rest of Houston's offseason. All right, jumping back into the program, this is Locked on Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. We spent much of the first half of Wednesday's show explaining why the Rockets were not able to expand the Russell Westbrook trade to bring in either additional talent or salary filler for future trades down the line. Here in the second segment, I want to look forward to what their actions tell us about what expectations we should set for the remainder of the offseason as the Rockets and Daryl Morey try to put the best roster they can around James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Now, clearly, most analysts, and I include myself in this, agree that the Rockets generally need more depth, they could use more wing defense, and they could probably use more shooting. Specifically, I think it's the forward spot's Guys that are long and rangy that they could use a bit more of. They're well-stocked in terms of guards. Obviously, Westbrook and Harden, but also Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers. With Gordon, by the way, keep your eyes peeled on a potential extension. With EG entering the last year of his contract, one way or another, they need to answer that question as to whether they can get a team-friendly deal done. And if not, maybe during the season at some point, he becomes an asset. Maybe that's another reason why you don't feel that you need as much filler. We'll have to wait and see. That's a long ways away, but it's something at a very high level to keep your eyes peeled for. And then as far as depth, I think you feel pretty good at the center spot with Clint Capella and now Tyson Chandler backing him up. Of course, you'd always like to add more and the Rockets. They keep an open mind to the best player available concept. But right now, I think it's behind P.J. Tucker and whoever starts at the three, most likely Daniel House, outside chance of Eric Gordon. You could, or should, I should say, have more bodies behind them that can either defend shoot, do the things that you need from your forwards and your wings in a Mike D'Antoni offense. At the moment, I think you're probably looking at minimum type guys for that role because at this point, I think Andre Iguodala is fairly unlikely. And let me explain why. I know ever since July 1st, ever since Golden State let him go to Memphis, Iggy's been mentioned as a target for the Rockets, first by buyout and then by trade. At this point, I no longer see a likely trade path for the Rockets to land Iguodala. Because if Memphis was going to do that, the far and away most plausible time would have been during the Westbrook negotiations and as a third team, as part of that Westbrook deal, because they would not have had to take in anywhere near as much salary from the Rockets. Now, yes, at the beginning of this process, we talked about how the Rockets could sign Iman Shumpert to a bloated one-year deal, thirteen point two million. That's the max without triggering base-year compensation. Then throw in a minimum or two along with Shumpert in the sign and trade. Maybe some cash to cover his contract, and that'd be enough to make the math work for Eggy. And undoubtedly, you'd have to give up some draft compensation. Could you do it with a second, or is Memphis holding out for a first? We talked about that earlier. Well, the reason that I don't think a trade is realistic anymore. Why would Memphis voluntarily pay Iman Shumpert $13 million when they could have reasonably gotten him for 7 or $8 million instead? That's what the Rockets could have done as part of the Westbrook trade, and the math would have worked. So whereas in theory, you could still do a Shumpert for Iguodala sign and trade, unless you believe that Memphis is in the business of just wasting 5 or $6 million for no real reason, then... If the Grizzlies were inclined to do a deal with the Rockets, if there was something to be had, the time was during these Westbrook negotiations. And for one reason or another, whether you're skeptical of the Rockets and the luxury tax, now I explained the other day why I don't really buy the report from Sham Sharania of The Athletic that the tax was a main factor for the Rockets in the Iguodala talks. I don't really think that makes a lot of sense given that the Rockets set the expectation that they were going after him. Now, maybe the Rockets could argue and would have a valid point that, hey, giving up a first-round pick plus taking in Iguodala at that salary, which becomes even more with the tax, that's a lot to ask if you're giving up up a first-round pick as well. Sure, I could see that being a consideration, but again, it goes back to the root element in that case of the Grizzlies are apparently asking for a first, and the Rockets aren't willing to give that up because they don't have that many assets left. Now, it could be that later in the offseason... Maybe the Grizzlies, right now, they don't really have much time pressure. As they get closer to camp, I doubt they really want Andre Iguodala, a 35-year-old, on their rebuilding roster. So maybe something similar to the Knicks and Carmelo Anthony a couple of years ago, in which action moves closer to training camp in September. But that's not really realistic for the Rockets, because why would Iman Shumpert sit around and wait and say, hey, maybe I can get a luxury deal in a sign-and-trade in which someone overpays me a little bit. No, at some point, he's just going to want employment. He'll stick around a couple of weeks in July. I highly doubt he's going to stay unsigned and without a job the entire offseason just because he might get the luxury of a balloon payment from the Memphis Grizzlies. That's way too much to ask. If a deal was going to happen anytime soon between the Rockets and the Grizzlies for Andre Iguodala, the time was as part of the Westbrook deal. I can't imagine them caving a few days after they presumably could have done it. Hell, the Rockets would even have had to include Shumpert. They could have just put together a few minimums and strung those together. I can't see the Grizzlies not being willing to do that deal on Tuesday and then turning around a few days or even a couple of weeks later and say, hey, we'll pay Iman Shumpert, overpay him at $13 million a year just to get that one or two second round picks from Houston or whatever is being offered. I presume not a first, but it was a first. My guess is the Grizzlies would have done that deal. That's why I don't see the trade as realistic. If it was going to happen, the window was perfect during the Westbrook negotiations because it wouldn't have cost the Rockets any more money. It was the same as far as they're concerned, taking in Iguodala's salary, $17 million expiring deal. Yet for the Grizzlies, it would have cost them much less in terms of either a few minimums or Shumpert at a much lower rate. They chose not to do that. So I just don't see how a trade comes together anytime soon. Maybe towards the end of the offseason, the Grizzlies relent a little bit, but then Shumpert's probably not going to be sitting around and available to use as a sign-and-trade ship. Now, the Grizzlies could decide to buy him out, maybe. That's a possibility if they don't want to take back, you know, the packages we've heard. The Mavs are trying to offload Courtney Lee's expiring contract. No one seems willing to take Iguadala's $17 million salary entirely. That's why the Warriors had to pay the premium of a first-run pick to offload him to Memphis once they did the sign-and-trade for D'Angelo Russell, which hard-capped them. Maybe the Grizzlies come back off their demands later in the offseason, but it doesn't make sense as to why Shumpert would still be around then and an option for the Rockets to make that math work. Based on those considerations that the Grizzlies would have to be taking back money for Iguodala in any of these transactions, maybe, especially if Iggy's willing to give a few dollars back to them in a buyout, Maybe they say, hey, whatever second round picks we'd get, we'd rather just the cash savings, especially if he'd give back a little in a buyout and just let him go then. I do believe the Rockets would pursue Iggy in a buyout, but guess what? By all reports, so would the Lakers, so would the Clippers, so would the Nuggets, and I'm guessing the vast majority of contenders would. He's a perfect, really glue guy, 3 and D type, certainly the defense, but we know he hits threes in big moments. Reality is, there'd be at least five or six contenders trying to lure Iguadala. The Rockets would have a chance, but considering the amount of teams going after him and that he can only say yes to one, if you're the Rockets, you have to treat Iggy as a buyout as a bonus. You can't set that expectation when you're building your roster. So, considering that trading for Iggy now feels unrealistic and a buyout is inherently unlikely just based on the number of suitors, I think you probably have to look to fill your depth your wing defense, your shooting, those types of attributes in other ways. And considering it's now July 17th, we're two and a half weeks into free agency, it's not like the market is incredibly well stocked. Now you do have a few guys, I mentioned J.R. Smith, Justin Holiday, Luke Bamute, even Vince Carter, who, although he's in his 40s, is still a really good shooter those are guys that you can probably get at the minimum, and I do think that could be part of the calculus on how the Rockets did not come to terms with the Grizzlies on an Iguodala deal. Maybe they decided it's not worth giving up a future first-run pick if you feel like you can get 70 to 80% of his production at, say, $2 million minimum instead of 17 I can't argue with that level of logic, but where it does hurt, of course, is that you wouldn't have nearly the same in terms of potential salary filler since they would only be making the minimum about $2 million. Now, in theory, the Rockets still could go the non-taxpayer MLE route and maybe overpay one of those guys, a J.R. Smith, a Justin Holiday, Luke Bamute, Vince Carter, one of those wings. You could overpay with maybe a one-year $5 million or slightly more than that that type of deal with your non-taxpayer MLE, but my guess is that Daryl Morey wouldn't do that because using a non-taxpayer MLE would trigger a hard cap. And my guess is whatever benefit there is to having a slightly higher salary for future trade purposes, it's not worth being hard capped, which would really make things difficult if there was a Kevin Love deal or something like that that became available down the line. So while that's an outside possibility, I think the more reasonable path is that the Rockets do know they need more depth, they need more wing defense, and there are some values to be had. Very few teams still have cap space, but at this point, you're probably looking at minimums, which can make your roster better. And the Rockets, they do have a contender right now on paper. That's not inconsequential. But in terms of potentially being used as salary filler in trades down the road, increasing your war chest of assets minimum signings aren't really going to move the needle all that much in terms of the math that you can make work down the line should you need it. The real question to me, and this will give you a key data point to watch with ownership, the questions we said earlier about their willingness to spend. The name to watch, in my opinion, is Iman Shumpert. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I don't think a Shumpert for Iguodala trade is happening anymore because the ideal window would have been as part of the Westbrook trade. At this point, my belief is that the realistic best case scenario is to use the bird rights that they have with Shumpert to keep him. Try to re-sign him to a reasonable deal, maybe 5 or $6 million for a year or two. He can help you with wing defense. Remember, he was pretty playable against the Warriors, especially in those home games that you won. And then as of December 15th, he'd be trade eligible and he could serve as that type of mid-tier salary that you may need to make the math work on those potential in-season deals. Now, in theory, I do want to stress that you can't completely write off Schumpert's sign-and-trade possibilities for players other than Iguadala. Maybe there's a smaller salary out there that could be a fit, but in most cases, the ideal window also would have been as part of the Westbrook trade for very similar financial reasons. At this point, I would treat a Schumpert's sign-and-trade as unlikely, a pleasant surprise if it happens. More realistically, either the Rockets keep him or he walks somewhere else. And the case, if you want to buy in for why the Rockets would do that, unlike Patrick Patterson, where he's just a bad player and the only point to having him would be the potential of maybe using him as trade filler down the line, Shumpert is actually potentially useful to this team purely on the basketball merits. They do need more wing defense and depth there. And Roosh Williams, if you want to check out our archives, our last show with Roosh last week, he made a good case for why Shumpert could be a good fit. The bottom line as we close out today's show is that after the Rockets passed on the floor scenario of expanding the Westbrook trade for the Patrick Patterson types, it's clear now that there are definitely some limitations to how much ownership is willing to invest, especially as it pertains to the luxury tax. The flip side, though, if you want to be optimistic, is that with the rumored pursuits of guys like Jimmy Butler and Andre Iguodala, and then adding the enormous contract of Russell Westbrook with even an extra year tacked onto it relative to Chris Paul, there are also clearly scenarios where they will invest and they will go into the luxury tax. The question is exactly where the line is. They'll do it for the stars. They'll do it for the big names. They won't do it just for the potential of maybe having Feller down the road. Iman Shumpert, I still think his primary value would be as filler, but he's a better basketball player than Patrick Patterson, and he also fits into your needs a bit more. Would that make a difference with Tillman Fertitta and Rockets ownership? In my opinion, that's the next data point to watch for as we go through the Rockets off season and we look at what assets they have to potentially make trades, be it in August or September, or even closer to the 2019-2020 deadline in February. Anyway, I think that will do it for today's show on Wednesday, July 17th here at Locked on Rockets. And if you want more content before our next episode, there are, of course, many ways that you can get that. First and foremost is Twitter, where I'm on there at Ben DuBose, and the show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Beyond that, we've got a website, LockedOnRockets.com, Facebook account, Facebook.com slash Rockets, email address, Rockets at gmail.com. All of those are ways that you can access prior episodes, or you can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show those types of things. I also urge you to check out Lockdown NBA, which is the daily league-wide podcast on this Lockdown Podcast Network. They've had plenty of talk about Russell Westbrook and the Rockets all week, and I'm guessing they will in the next few days as well, especially when we get that inevitable press conference. And in addition to checking out our Lockdown Rockets and Lockdown NBA archives, please remember that to get this show every day, the best way is to subscribe. One way to do that is with Himalaya's new podcast app, which offers personally curated playlists and new features every single day. You can also listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more, and I encourage you to do so and to leave five-star reviews wherever you can. That's how we can look attractive to potential sponsors and keep the business model rolling here at Locked on Rockets as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. And when you get in your car or you go to the gym, you can even tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Rockets and listen to our most recent episodes that way as well. Once again, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks to all of you for listening, and please come back soon for more episodes right here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.